0: KMTT, Kimitzion Tetsay Torah, today is Friday Zayin Shvat, Erev Shabbat Kodesh Parshat Bo. This is Ezra Bik, and we're here for another Erev Shabbat program. And today's, uh, Parsha, I saw an interesting, uh, an interesting vote, uh, which really opened my eyes to understanding a particular phenomenon in the Parsha, even though, as I will explain, my own personal conclusion is the opposite of he who taught me what to say in this particular passage. The Pesach says, When the Jews believe in Mitzvahim, This is the passage that explains where matzot come into Pesach, that they baked the dough which they took out of Mitzrayim." Cakes of matzah, but they was not leaving lo chametz, for they were expelled from It's and they had no time to 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 do it slowly, no time to 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 hesitate, and what's more, they didn't even take with them provisions, Gam Saidan, lo asulahem. They did not make any provisions for the way. Now Isaac Sher, Isaac Sher was one of the great Muslim uh, of Slabotka in Europe, Razak Shah asks, "Isn't it strange? They had no time to make provisions. They left Mitzrayim with their knapsacks empty of food, but they had time to go to their neighbors and borrow." The Jews went to the Mitzvim, as per God's command, to borrow silver and gold and clothing. So they had time to borrow clothes from the neighbors, but they had no time. To uh, to uh, pack up provisions for the way. The Shah's answer was that asking, borrowing objects, borrowing uh, valuable objects from the Mitzvim was God's command. God had sent to them. God told Moshe to tell the Jews. God had commanded them to go, each person should go to his neighbor, and each woman should go to her neighbor, and ask to borrow uh, utensils of silver and of gold and clothing. So since they were commanded to do it, they did it. But God didn't command them to make provisions, and therefore they didn't do it. They did whatever they were told to do. They weren't told to uh, make provisions. They weren't told to, to pack up food. And so, they didn't do it. Now, the conclusion of, of Isaac share was, and why was that? Because they'd be talking, what they were told to do, they did, because God told them to do it. If God didn't tell them to make food, they said, God is taking us out of Egypt. We're being, Al nisharim, kavod. we're being taken out by God's own hands with the clouds of glory above us. So what do we have to worry about? Well, as he understood this point, the difference between making provisions and borrowing uh, utensils from the Egyptians as a compliment to Bnei That they had bitachon Bashem. They weren't to borrow provisions either. They weren't to borrow uh, utensils either. They wouldn't have done anything. God says to go, they go. But well, he told them, they did. But they depended and relied on God for everything else. I think the distinction he makes is, really, is, is absolutely correct. But the truth was, if it was up to me, I would have understood it the exact opposite. Not as a compliment, but as a as criticism or as an important point in understanding what the Bechipazon the haste of the Jews in leaving Egypt was all about. After all, we have a concept of Pesach Mitzrayim, the way the Jews made Pesach, the first Pesach when they were still in Egypt. And the concept of Pesach L'dorot, what we do. What we were required to do when the Beit Mudash was in existence and what we do since then on Pesach Night. One of the differences between Pesach Mitzrayim and Pesach Lid Dorot, the, the permanent Pesach, is the Bihri Pazan. The Jews ate hastily, but we don't eat hastily, we sit, we eat nicely. On the contrary, when we eat on Pesach, everything we do on Pesach, we're free. We celebrate our freedom. We do we remember in order to appreciate your freedoms so you eat maro. You eat the bitter herbs so that you can remember from where you're coming. But the basic uh, Seudah, the basic feast of Pesach night is one of celebration of liberty. You drink four cups of wine, you recline when you eat Haseba, which is the way that aristocrats and free men would eat in ancient times. Everything you do is indicate that we are now free. The Jews, though, when they left Egypt, I think the Torah is telling us, were not free. Even after they were freed, they weren't free. Mentally, psychologically, you're dealing with the people for whom servitude and slavery is embedded deeply in their, in their psyche. And the Torah is going to have to slowly, eventually I think 40 years, but in the plan, at least 50 days, so they got to Hasinai, is going to have to try not just to break the yoke of Egypt, but to truly liberate them internally. A classic, classic behavior of a slave is that he cannot plan for the future. On the contrary, he does what he's told. And everything else, he relies on you to take care of him. He never makes his own food. The Master gives him food. He does what he's told. And this is exactly what, I think, what Isaac Shev pointed out, although he drew the opposite conclusion, as the behavior of the Jews when when they left Mitzrayim. God told them to borrow uh, utensils from the Egyptians, an act which I think was intended to liberate them. These Egyptians have been their masters. You now go and you take from them. but You ask to borrow, but no slave would normally have gone to borrow gold and silver from his master. It was designed to inculcate into their heads the fact that these are not their masters. But the truth is, how did they do it? How did they get the boldness to go to their masters and borrow gold and silver and clothing? The answer is, what boldness? They did it because they were told. And how do I know they did? It? Because they were told. Because something even so much more elementary. Planning and packing and making provisions before one leaves on a long journey that they didn't do. Nobody told them to fill up a knapsack with food. So they figured, well, you know, someone will give it to us. Our master, our new master is, perhaps we've masters. No longer the mitzvah, our masters, now God is our master. But he will provide like masters do for their, for their slaves. And from this we see that even the borrowing of the silver and the gold was not in effect, in conclusion, not a contradiction and not an act of liberation. If you do it because your master has told you to do it, then even though you're treating the Egyptians with a certain amount of equality or perhaps even superiority, but your basic psychology has in fact not changed. So, uh, I, I, I admit and I was, uh, the person whom I learned this this vote of Isaac Sheh drew the opposite conclusion he said this shows you the perfectly tough of the Jews they depended on God if God told them to do X they did X didn't tell them to do Y they didn't do Y I think his point is correct but the explanation is the opposite the Jews despite God's efforts in the meantime to cause them to have a different attitude towards slavery and mastership in fact, did not achieve it. Because the borrowing from the mitzvim was done because they were told, and they're not making provisions for themselves, not taking responsibility for their own future. The true mark of the free man, they didn't take responsibility, since nobody told them to do so. And if you're not told to do it, you don't do anything. You just wait. And therefore, when they left Egypt, they were, in fact, internally, spiritually and psychologically, still enslaved enslaved to their own mentality the slave mentality and they had not yet achieved true true freedom uh, we have a guest today our guest is Rav Shalom Berger Shalom Berger is a neighbor of mine lives in Alon and Rav Shalom uh, Berger works for the Luxstein Center for Jewish Education of uh, Barilan University he's also a graduate of Yeshivat HaRetzean and uh, I've asked them to share some thoughts with us uh, for this week's Pasha uh, Erev Shabbat
1: podcast. Have a please. I don't know how many of you pay attention to the weather reports in Israel, but until uh, relatively late in the season this year, there was very little rain here in Israel. It was a dry year. There was a little bit of rain, just Sukkot time. And then afterwards, for uh, almost until Hanukkah, there really was very little rain. And here in Alon Shvut, in the Yeshiva and in the Bate Knesset, they instituted a, an addition to the Tefillah and Shma an addition that uh, begins, it appears in the standard Rinat Yisrael Siddur, at least the ones for, for Eretz Yisrael, um, that is a prayer for rain. Basically, it's a a tfila that calls on God to to bring rain in Israel as we need. Uh, I'm, I trust you're aware that um much more than in uh, countries with other types of climates, here in Israel, if it doesn't rain in the winter, um, we're in a lot of trouble because we rely on the rain during the winter to fill the kineret, to uh, to to make sure to ensure that there is water for us to drink, for agriculture, for other purposes. Uh, this particular tefillah does not, to the best of my knowledge, appear in the in the Gemara. Uh, I think the first mention of it is in the Avudraham. Um, a um, 14th century Rishon. The um, um, nevertheless, it, uh, today it, it is commonplace. I've seen not this year, but in other years, I've seen that the rabbanut harashit calls on people to, in fact, add this particular uh, tefillah to their to their regular shmona Yisrael. Once it did begin to rain, and uh, Baruch Hashem, now that we have rain. Um, the the uh, I understand the uh, ski slopes on the Hermon are open for business now. Um, once it began to rain, so uh, another uh, response to this um, took place in the Bat Knesset and here in the yeshiva, which is uh, based on the Gemaran Brachot, um, a a statement of modim, a statement of modim that in fact, uh, in our local Beit B- Knesset, here in Alon was said, with Shemu Malchut, was said, with God's name. Um, and it's codified, in fact, in the Rambam, and Hilchot Brachot, Perak Yud, that uh, an, individual, an individual who has a field when it begins to rain says, And if it does not, then if a person does not have a Sadeh, we thank God for every drop of rain that comes down. A word that perhaps you're familiar with from the Nishmat prayer that we say on Shabbatot. We say, God, uh, for this wonderful thing that you've done for us, we cannot even begin to express our appreciation. We don't have the ability to do so. So these are some of the realities that we live with here in Israel. Um, coincidentally, or for, perhaps fortuitously, um, the Dafyomi Yomi cycle, the cycle that was begun by Rav uh, Mayor Shapiro um, in the uh, late 1920s, early 1930s in Europe, which uh, is now, I believe, in its ninth cycle, in which uh, the members of the Jewish community each uh, learn the same Daf, the same page of Gemara every day. Um, so, right now, world Jewry, uh, based on this system, is in fact... Uh, involved in the study of Mesechet Ta'anit. The Mesechet, the Tractate in the Gemara that deals with these very issues. Um, most of the Tractate deals with uh, prayers and fasts that uh, the Jewish people living in Israel uh, accepted upon themselves uh, an entire series, one that becomes more and more um, restrictive uh, as time goes on in order to pray for rain um the uh, today's Dafiomi in fact begins the third parak, a perak that opens with a uh, description of the fasts and then almost as an aside um, says that there are certain types of things that we do not pray for there are certain um, types of emergency situations in which it's inappropriate to pray and um, in doing so, it quotes a particular opinion, the opinion, uh, or I should say a particular story, one that has become well-known in Jewish folklore, and one that I'd like to spend a few minutes discussing today. The Mishnah says, uh, this is on Daphia and Aleph, al Tzara Taval HaTzibur Aleihem, Gishamim. That um, sort of a summation to the Mishnah, the, uh, the, the, the Mishnah teaches that, uh, all different types of um, evil things that happen to the Jewish people it's appropriate to call out in prayer and perhaps fasting. The one exception is if it rains too much. And with this the Gemara tells a story. Maaseh sh'amru lo ha'ma'agel. The uh, story happened, it happened that a, um, uh, the people turned to Choni um, ha'ma'agel, a person who lived during uh, toward the end of the uh, the second Beit Hamikdash, one of the uh, someone who lived in the period of the Tanaim, hit They turned to him and they said, "Pray that uh, rain should fall." Amar He apparently responded with quite a bit of confidence. Um, everyone better bring your the, the the Pesach ovens that you have. Uh, the Pesach ovens, I imagine, for baking matzah that you have outside, better better bring them in, into your homes, because once the rain starts falling, we have to be nervous that they're going to get ruined being outside. <laughs> he davened, and rain did not fall. Me'asa, so what was Choni Agel's response to this? uga. he drew a circle, va'anmad bitokha, and he stood inside it, va'amar he prayed, he turns to God in prayer and he says, Banecha Samu lefanecha. Your children, that is the Jewish people, have turned to me because they know that I am as a um, a regular in your home, almost like a son to you. I swear by your great name. that I will not leave the circle until you show mercy on your children the rains began to fall a, a, a light rain. He said, he, his response is, No, no, God. That wasn't what I was asking for. I want rain that is going to fill the cisterns, that is going to fill the caves, that's going to be to make sure that there's enough rain... For, um, for the people. Apparently, let's keep in mind, if he's praying and he, he's already concerned about the, the Pesach ovens, apparently this is very, very late in the rainy season. And yet, um, uh, there is there, there apparently has been no, no rain up until this point. <speaking in Hebrew> the rain began to, came, to come down in anger. <speaking> in <Hebrew> I didn't ask for a destructive rain. <speaking in Hebrew> I wanted merciful rain. Rain that, that's a blessing. Um, it began, began to rain, began to rain normally, but apparently it rained so much. The people had to were forced to leave the city of Jerusalem and look for, for a high place. The high place they found was of course the Bait the Harabite, was the HaMikdash, because of all the rain. They turned to Choni and they said, "Okay, we asked, we got. We asked for rain, and in fact, now um, uh, we've had quite enough. Thank you. Uh, perhaps you should pray that it should stop raining." Amar lahem uim He said, "Go and check whether the the stone, the rock upon which people stood to announce that they had found objects and to try to get, try to offer them to." Um, uh, to find their owners, see if that's still standing. Um, apparently he's saying, if that's still standing, then, um, or uh, that, that just like that, it, that stone will not be undone, don't worry, uh, for all that the rain appears to be over much, it still hasn't reached a, a, a truly destructive force. Shalach lo Shimon ben Shetach. Shimon ben who was the, the head of the Chachamim at that point, um, sends to him in response to this entire episode, il malei choni ata, rani alecha nidui. Were you not choni hama'agel, I would um, uh, decree upon you uh, some type of excommunication. Aval ma'ese, esa What can I do? שאתה mitchate לפני hama'akom ואוסל לך כריצונך. You turn to God and He does your will, your bidding. כבן mitchate מתחתה על אביב ואוסלו um, he turns to you like a father turns to his son when he asks, um, when he asks a favor of him. And he, based on this, he, um, uh, he quotes a Pasuk in Mishle that, um, uh, your father and mother should be, should be proud of the, uh, of the ones that they raised. Uh, this mishnah this story in the mishnah actually spurs an entire discussion and almost the entire perak almost the entire third parak of pesaqta nit is filled with stories of um miracles of out of the or- ordinary incidents of stories of people and by the way not all of them uh great tamide chachamim some of them just regular people who going about their daily lives in the service of god and am israel um merit uh, miraculous occurrences uh, happening to them. So uh, this, this uh, on some level, leads to that, but it leads to a number of questions that I think we, we need to ask ourselves and, uh, uh, in, in analyzing and thinking about this story. Uh, up until now, Masekat Tanit has really been a, um, a, a series of halachot in which we learn, we study about the appropriate reaction terrain. Uh, when when it doesn't rain in Israel, you're supposed to pray, you fast, you're supposed to pray to God, which of course points to something that uh, uh, I think we are less sensitive to in in the modern age, and certainly outside of Eretz Yisrael, that rain in Israel does not simply uh, signify um, something to drink or something to water our fields with or or, or something to go swimming in. Water represents a relationship, a statement of a relationship with God. That is to say, that uh, in the Kriyat Shema, in Vayayim Shema, that we say daily, that we say twice daily, uh, the Psukim very clearly indicate that God's relationship with Am Yisrael, in Eretz Yisrael, with the Jewish people in Israel, um, uh, can be, um, can be tested on some level... Uh, based on rain. <coughs> the, uh, the psukim say, If you do what you're supposed to, you'll get rain in its appropriate time. Be careful. If you don't follow God, then um, immediately before that, in Sefer Dvarim, the the Torah clearly teaches that Eretz Yisrael is a special place. You are going to drink not from rivers but from when you were in Israel from the the rain from the heavens. God is always um, paying attention to Eretz Yisrael. And the clear connection is that it is our activities, our behaviors, that um, uh, bring about a relationship with God that can be evidenced by rain. Um, In other words, although there certainly are periods in Jewish history in which there are nisim Miglim, there are clear, obvious miracles. The stories we read about um, in, parasha, in the Parshiot of the Eser Makot of Yitziat Mitzrayim, uh, the, the, the Torah tells us about miracles. Um, nevertheless, there are mo- many times, in fact, most times in history, where God's uh, interaction with us does not come from miracles, rather it comes from everyday kinds of things. And uh, the rain is one of those indications here in Eretz Israel. A question we have to ask ourselves then is: How does um, uh, this kind of story, which almost looks like like a um, a call for uh, some kind of magical intervention, how does that fit in with the with the mindset of um, that we usually have with regards to issues of halacha and relationship with God? A prayer is one thing. Can uh, drawing a circle around and taking a shivua and swearing um, that you won't leave until God responds? How does that fit into our worldview of um, of uh, a, a normative relationship with um, with Hakadosh Baruch? Um, many people, I think, it's sort of obvious that if you can point to the Shimon Ben Shetach story at the end. Shema um, Men Shetach responds and he is clearly aware that Choni that Agel is a unique personality. Choni uh, himself talks uh, about Banecha, um, God, um, I'm approaching you as a child talking to a father, while Shema Men Shetach refers to relationship as HaMa'kom, that, um, that God is on a totally different, different level. Um, most of us probably are more in Shimon ben Shetach's world than we are in uh, Choni Ham'agel's world. Um, nevertheless, uh, in this particular story, there are certain things that point to Choni Ham'agel also playing a unique and special role. Something that we really are insensitive to today is the, the needs of the olei Uh This story is here, we we're standing right before Pesach, apparently, again, there's the reference... To the the Pesach ovens, and Choni um, uh, Hamagel talks about the need to fill the the cisterns to fill the borot shikinum arot. We know from other places in Shas, for example, in Erevin, where Pasebi wrote there were special halachot that were set up um, about how travelers could make use of of cisterns during their travel. And according to uh, to the Gemara, this was a unique. Um, a leniency for the people who were ole regalim who needed to, uh, to to get to water. Here you have the people turning to Choni Hamagel and saying, um, "We we recognize that um, in order for us to fulfill the um, to to allow the people to fulfill their duty of Aliyah we have to um, step in here." everything that we have tried that was normative hasn't worked. Here it is, the end of the season. And we're turning to you because we know that you have a unique relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Um, And we're turning to you not to ask for a nice nigla, although, as it turned out, the fact that he's able to, to demand more, to demand less, to demand something special, it's clear that his relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu is a very, very unique one. Um, nevertheless, they're saying... Within the uh, framework of what is considered normal, what's considered tevil, what's considered nature, we'd like you to turn to God at this moment and to, um, to ask Him to do, to show us the relationship that we strive for. To show us that um, uh, the same way uh, we are supposed to be doing His will, He should respond to us by bringing the rain that, uh, that we need in order to fulfill his will for Ali al Um Khoni is, is successful in doing this, um, uh, and even though it drives the Gemara to tell more stories, by the way, some of them about Choni's uh, uh, his descendants, his, his grandchildren from his son, from his daughter, who also had some of these same abilities, Nevertheless, the story seems more to be emphasizing the importance of a relationship with God and our expectation that through our prayers and through our turning to Akadish Baruch Hu, we can uh, make a request of Him um, to to turn to us as well, to respond to us, to recognize our um, our needs uh, in in a manner that shows that we have a relationship with him. For most of us, it's very difficult to turn to the Kaddish Baruch Hu as a child talking to a parent. Most of us, it's easier to sort of hide behind the halachic barriers of um, uh, official tefillah, official tzom, official fasting. Um, nevertheless, uh, trying to establish, aspiring to establish a relationship like a father to a son is something that perhaps we can learn from the Choni Hama story.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Harab Berger. And that's it for our program for, for the Shabbat. I want to wish you all Shabbat Shalom. Call to her. We'll be back, of course, next week, starting Monday, with our regular broadcasts the shir on Monday of Rabbi Tabori, the weekly mitzvah, and then our regularly scheduled uh, broadcasts for the week. And when, once again, we're, I, haven't, I haven't yet done the accounting, but again I want to thank all those who participated in uh, two weeks ago in the KMTT Drive Week, uh, especially those who actually wrote and added a few words. Uh, we got to hear from real people. I've also even met some people this is the season when people visit Israel come to visit their children. So a number of people who I've met in the last two weeks have also taken the opportunity to come over to me. They were in Yeshiva, or they were in Alon to they came over to tell me that they hear the podcast and enjoy them. Simple thing, but it for me it was a great thing. I realized that there actually are human beings listening to the shiurim and not just and not just computer chips. tov, Shabbat Shalom this has been Ezra broadcasting for KMTT from a lone Shivat Shiva in Eretz Israel. Ki mitsion teitzei Torah u'dvar Hashem miYerushalayim.